Welcome to the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater 2020, our YouTube channel where we discuss lacrosse highlights with the all-stars who created them. These are the audio files, and I'm your host, Mitch Belisle. All right, we are here back at it with episode 26 of the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater, and we're uh, very excited to have Scott here with us. And, and my dog, Leo, who uh, it sounds like is going to be barking at us for, uh, for at least part of this, uh, <laughs> this program. Featuring Leo. We've occasionally had guest features, and so glad, glad that Leo could make that guest feature. Scott, where are, you, uh, where are you logging in from? I am in Atlanta, Georgia, in Midtown. Awesome. You have, did you move to Atlanta when you were really young or were you born in Atlanta? I was born in, uh, in Orange County, California. I lived there till, uh, in a town called Dana Point till I was five. And then I, you know, grew up here in Atlanta. So this is very much home. Do you have memories of Dana Point, California? Um, I have memories. What is that outside of? What? What? what uh... um, like it's like it's Orange County. So it's oh, got it. Sorry, okay. in the like Newport Laguna Beach kind of area. Um, I, I I like feel like I have memories of being there when I was a kid, but I think most of them are probably just going back and visiting. Um, even like still, my most of my family's in San Diego area, so that's kind of always been like where we spent Christmases and summers growing up. And then my sister just moved out there now, so I spend a lot of time out there. So that it does still have a bit of like home <laughs> to feel, but Atlanta is uh, Atlanta <laughs> is definitely the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> we all love. We're just we're, we're just gonna roll with it, you know. <laughs> He's gonna stop eventually. He's just a little worked up. I just got home. <laughs> a, a child will probably pass through somewhere, or there'll be a you know some sort of noise out here. So. I think this is part of the, uh, the 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 COVID world that we live in is just the is just the understanding and empathy around uh, around us being people in our houses and or dogs dog and dog or dogs. He needed some FaceTime. That was Leo's biggest gripe. He's like, "You're not even going to give me. You're going to feature me, and not give me FaceTime here." It is true though. As long as he's being pet and getting attention, like he's fine. It's just if I start ignoring him, we're going to hear from him. Well, pet away. Well, Rhett, you know, you obviously, I, I think probably a fair amount of people know a little bit about your story, but I, I think, uh, you know, talk a little bit about how you got into lacrosse and, and, you know, for those who don't know, your dad was an All-American in Maryland and um, so it was in your blood, but what, you know, you lived in California, Southern California and Atlanta, which are now two hotbeds, but when you were coming up weren't. So what, how did, how did that come about? How did you make that connection? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, my dad had, had uh, and it's funny, my dad actually grew up in Georgia as well. And he, he moved to Baltimore when he was a freshman in high school. And so he was, you know, picked it up really late. He went to University of Maryland on a football scholarship and then um, played in a summer league when he was like on campus. Coach Buddy Beermore saw him and uh, offered him a lacrosse scholarship as well. And so he made the switch and he decided to do that. And uh, you know, played didn't play didn't end up playing football there. Played four years of lacrosse. So I was one of those kids who like I had a stick, you know, before I could walk or talk. Like he, um, he always kind of made that a part of my life. Like I remember playing with him in the yard far before I ever had an opportunity to join a league or anything like that. When we moved to Atlanta, um, and I got to that age where you're going to start looking for a league. I think I was in fourth grade the first time I played in the league. I remember like driving around the city. There were three leagues in the like essentially the entire state of Georgia. They were all in that kind of greater Atlanta area. And 
you know, he just went and watched the practice and kind of wanted to watch the level of play and, and ended up picking one called Atlanta Youth Lacrosse, which is um, was started by a guy named Lou Corsetti, who you yeah, guys might course. be yeah, yeah. involved in U.S. Lacrosse and um, is still a great friend and, and mentor of mine. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of how it went down. And, and in that league at the time, there were four teams. And my dad, you know, was one of the few guys who was, who was – you know, we got involved there and, and started coaching and the, the rest was history. Lacrosse, like high school lacrosse was just became certified in Georgia or whatever you want to call it, recognized by the GHSA. Right at the time, <laughs> correct. Um, it was like starting uh, at that point. And by the time I got to high school, it's up, but, you know, it was still very much a, a startup sport, but I had a, full-time coach and, and a playing partner in my house which was which was certainly helpful and when you now you're there but like you leave for Loyola and then you you kind of like come back I know you like obviously came back for summers and like that but like did you have like a like a, like a moment where you kind of had to like slap yourself like well wait a second like this is like lacrosse is like now a thing uh was it like always kind of like gradual or or it, was there one kind of moment that sticks out where you're like are we like a hot, a Southern hotbed? Like what, what happened? Yeah, no, that definitely happened. Well, first, Loyola was complete culture shock. Yeah. Like uh, it was, I, I can't, can't begin to describe how clueless I was to look. <laughs> it wasn't TV really. then. you know, I watched the Mikey Powell highlight tape and I would watch the final four if Maryland was in it with my dad. But like, I really truly never, grew up around the sport, watching the sport. You know, my dad wasn't one who like, he doesn't really love to watch sports in general. Um, so that wasn't like a big, big part of it. And I'll, I'll always remember at my, at my like freshman orientation are, you know, they called them the evergreens, like the student liaison that, you know, shows you around your first week, called, like referred to me as a lax pro. And I truly had never heard the term in my life. And <laughs> it's like, I, you know, I'm, I've learned that I very much probably did fit the mold, especially at that point in my life. But um, so that was weird was first getting there and being in an environment where everybody recognized a new lacrosse and it had a culture. Like in my high school, it was, it was kind of the misfits. It was like, you didn't really have a team culture. We didn't really all hang out together. It was, it was kind of a ragtag bunch. Um, so then the, the seeing it grow in Atlanta, I think, I think the, the big like eye opening jump was after I came home. I, when I graduated college, I lived in New York city for uh, about a year and a half. When I got home from there and club lacrosse had, you know, became a thing. And I was working with, with LB3. Um, there was another organization, Thunder, which is now combined into one. And both of those groups were putting out, you know, high level teams, you know, like multiple kids recruiting to play at a high level. That was like the eye opening moment for me when I got back. It's like, wow, you know, I was the, there were two of us maybe in, in my senior class on to play division one college across. And then I came home and the first team I coached had like 15 division one commits on it or something like that. Um, so that really had shown me just how, you know, how far it's come. And, and it was cool. And I was proud of it. Well, talk, talking about those Walton days. So, you know, was it like the kids who, you know, we see this in a lot of areas when they're burgeoning is like, oh, you can't play this sport. You can't play this sport. Why don't you go out and try lacrosse? Was it like a mix of that? Or was it more like football kids? Because baseball is huge in, in Walton specifically, but in the South. Yeah, it was um, – it was both. So we had like <laughs> my starting defense my junior year was a kid who went on to play linebacker at UGA. 
another guy who went on to play defensive end at Stanford. So we had these like two absolute stud football players. The kid who went to Stanford had Division One lacrosse offers as well. I mean, he was uh, really a freak, made it all the way to the NFL. But then we, but, so the, we had that. We had myself, who was obviously super committed to the sport and one of the better players. Uh, and then something to do you know mom made me pick a sport didn't oh my dad didn't coach my high school team but he used to get really frustrated with with that because the football guys were just doing it to stay in shape and have fun they didn't really seem to care um too much and then the, the kind of that other group of guys just didn't really have that like competitive fire that or toughness about it it was really just like a hobby a super over competitive emotional young version of, of myself to uh to navigate like playing in that environment and you know here i am crying after we lose games and other guys are you know frankly could care less <laughs> what the results were a lot of times and you played when did you make the switch to lfm because you played midfield with a short stick for a majority of your high school career correct yeah i mean i started dabbling with the long pole and that's what my dad had played and looking back now, I realized like he had no idea how to, how to teach me how to play shorty. You know, I cradled with my hands at the bottom of the stick. And so the stick was up. He always taught me to keep it up here above my head. And, you know, so my stick protection was terrible. And like when I'm, I'm spin moves, I was out here all the time. And, and so um, I, I would mess around with the long pole like in eighth grade and ninth grade. But I was always one of the only kids on my team that could catch and throw. So it was a waste to stick me at defense, you know, we can't score any goals or, or run any plays. So I played MIDI up until my junior year of high school and summer going into my junior year, I started going to camps and things like this. And I would always play pole at camps. I wasn't um, really the most athletic kid. I, I was a you know late bloomer and hit puberty late. I was small and my high school football coach used to call me a giant slow twitch muscle fiber. I was just not fast. Um, I had a like the longest nickname ever, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and really, like when I look back at it, like really hurtful, you know. <laughs> I looked up to that guy. <clears throat> but uh, like I the worked longest, on... most specific nickname ever, too. It's like <laughs> you every time someone learns something, they're like slow twitch muscle fiber. Yeah, it's like really think about it. Yeah, it was it was tough, but it was it was true. I like I wasn't I was a long distance runner, so I, I was in shape, but I wasn't really that fast or quick. Um, and my dad recognized that, and I, I give him a lot of credit. He was always really honest with me. He was just like, you don't look like a Division One midfielder. Like, I, I just don't think that that's realistic. So when we go play in these camps, you know, why don't we have you play close defense and play long pole? And then he started teaching me defense, and the fundamentals he taught me there were so much better than, than what I had been taught <laughs> offensively. You know, he's telling me to keep your stick in people's guts. He's working with me on shuffling and backpedaling. Um, he was like really big weight room guys. You can maybe see from his, his legs in the picture here. Um, so he got me in the weight room and starting to get stronger and, at a young age. So I would come back to my high school team and I would play a little bit of both starting my junior year. I'd play close defense. Then we had this kind of program where the last two minutes of every quarter, I would switch and play short stick and try to just give us a little burst on offense at the end of quarters. And then I would play man up with a short stick as well. And um, obviously if the man up ended, I'd stay on. So I found quite a bit of time out there with, with both sticks, but it was never long stick midi. It was close defense and guard the best attackman, or it was, you know, play two way midi, um, with a short pole in the middle of the field. And I loved it. I wish I could still do it now. It was a, it was a fun way to get introduced to the sport. 
we got to give Randy Ratliff some love here. Look at this with one hand walking the dog. Cut oh, the oh yeah. It's going. These, these cleats are, look like pumas, possibly. It's amazing. <laughs> yep. I've had lots of coaches ask me when I was going to grow up and look like him. And I'm uh, <laughs> about to be 29. I'm still waiting. <laughs> you got to get that, that uh, fast twitch muscle fiber going a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> he looks jacked. He's lean. Like, like he's, he's got a lot of fast twitch going on there. At least my understanding of what fast twitch muscles are. I, I might also be just one giant slow twitch muscle as well. <laughs> I think you might be actually. I'd be. I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. No, it's all right. So when you, you know, you, you're you're going through this, you're taking it dead serious. You're starting to go to camps, and obviously, I would imagine that Maryland had to be, you know, at the top of your list growing up with your dad being your hero and and. Um, probably shaping a lot of what you want to do. Is that is that accurate that Maryland was where you wanted to be to start? Totally. It was uh, – I mean, I think I could go back to probably first grade. I said I'm going to be a two-time All-American, a two-time captain at University of Maryland. Like, it was – there was no other goal in really in my life, um, which at times showed up in the classroom and, and probably some other places where I could have defined some bigger goals. But but that was it. I mean, I just – I admired him. I looked up to him. And I think that's what you get when you've had a, a family member who's done it. You know, you see a lot of people in lacrosse who, um, you know, had parents that played or maybe an older brother that played at a high level. And so, like, despite being from Georgia and maybe all the things in my life that were telling me it wasn't possible, I had this guy in my house who had done it. And, I, you know, I, I felt like I could, you know, be as good or, or better than he was. And, of course, my parents kind of pumped that self-belief in me so it was definitely that was definitely always my dream was to was to play at University of Maryland to go there and um, you know and I was close I got to the point where when I was starting to enter in the recruiting process because of who my dad was and the relationships he had there you know they they did look at me and it was it was Dave Cottle was the head coach at the time and you know he still probably holds a bigger grudge there than I do um, you know I certainly always kind of kept that chip on my shoulder just around being told no but like most schools didn't even give me the time of day. Um, where they did, you know, go out of their way. They watched me play multiple times. And then Coach Cottle gave me honest feedback. He looked at me and said, you know, I think you're more, I think you're good. I think you're more of a fit in a mid-major school. And, you know, that was what it was. But my dad, anytime that I ever play a Coach Cottle, Coach Cullen, which, you know, I have for a lot of my pro career, um, my dad always reminds me that he told me no. So I know it still gets under my dad's skin. Yeah, that mid-major, I'm sure that mid-major school was uh, was posted right in your locker when you guys played them in the national championship 2012. 2012 right? yeah, there's, there's more stories there that we'll, uh, we'll probably get into. So, um, <laughs> I'm going to get him going so he stops barking at us. Can, can we uh, pause for five seconds here? No problem at all. Pause it. All right, that's the first uh, executed pause and, and start of a recording. So we'll see how this goes. It might be a good spot to insert a commercial break if we get the podcast fully. Oh, you know, good idea. Good idea. So, uh, so how, did you, how did you end up at Loyola? What was Coach Toomey? Obviously, he saw something. It wasn't Dirgel at that point, right? It was still Toomey. No, no, it, it was Toomey. And, and, you know, he, Cottle wasn't referring specifically to Loyola in the mid-major statement. Um, he, you know, he was more just generalizing – where he felt like I would land, which which probably had m most to do with my size, which is, again, why I didn't really take it so hard because I was like, you know what? This kind of makes sense. And when I was playing at recruiting events and looking around, I wasn't the best player there. Like, even, you know, I was good, but not stand out, like should be going to a top 10 school type of guy. So well, that Maryland defense, that mold of the Maryland defense is, I mean, it's the Brian well, Farrell, the McGill's, like big, like huge guys. So I, I, could, I could see it's not the – prototype you know right I, when I met him and I'm, I'm 
I'm taking away from your other question. I apologize. When I met him uh, the, the first time face to face, I remember my dad had me stuff like folded socks into my shoes so that I would stand, stand up a couple inches higher when I went to talk to him face to face. But obviously, that didn't work out either. <laughs> he made you go barefoot. Randy Randy well, Ratliff is just so the hype is just the hype man of all hype men here. I mean, <laughs> you know, socks in the shoes, reminding about you know anytime you play a coddle team. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's subtle because it's really not my dad's like style to do that. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't give me feedback since I've been in ninth grade. He hasn't really attempted to coach me one time. You know, he is the ultimate just supportive, proud of you. You're better than I ever was. I mean, that's all I ever hear except for, for whatever reason, when Coddle's involved. <laughs> then I get specific feedback of needing to play harder or needing to uh, <laughs> you know, do, do something else. So I, can, I know where I get kind of my edge from. He always talked about be the meanest person on the field and the nicest person off, and that's something I, I took to heart for my entire life. Um, but to Mitch's question, to me, that came about from uh, my high school coach. Uh, a guy named John Holthouse. I had two, Tim Pritz and John Holthouse, who were both really, really influential in my young lacrosse career. I was so lucky. Um, there were not many high school programs in the state that had really strong coaching. And Walton, we weren't one of the best teams at the time that I was there, but we did have two of the best coaches down here. Um, and Coach Holthouse had played at Loyola. He, he was roommates with Tootie when he was there. Um, and I, had, I was committed to go to Naps. Uh, I had another high school club coach who had played at Navy who kind of helped to open those doors. And obviously um, with the, with the prep school piece of it and just with the locker room size at, at Navy that they're allowed to take, there's, you know, I think he was able to kind of convince him to take a chance on me that Richie Meade that was. So I'm, I'm all geared up and set to go to naps. And I entered into my senior high school season in the first four or five games, like I was just dominating. I was, you know, doing what I said. I was playing close defense and shutting guys down, literally running to the box, switching sticks, getting the ball, scoring on offense. And I think my two high school coaches were just really sold, like, hey, he can play. And, they, you know, they saw my work ethic and, and how I was treating it off the field. So he was in Toomey's ear quite a bit. And Toomey had seen me play one time. Um, he came down to Atlanta to run a clinic, and we did, like, a little showcase game of, like, two of the better club teams in Atlanta. And I felt like I dominated that game. I mean, he he – has told me since that he didn't really remember watching me on the field at all. Um, but he remembered, he remembered me staying after and helping clean up. Um, we, it was at my high school. And so he was like, you know, and then Coach Holdhouse is in my ear about you for five straight weeks. I did have this memory of you being high character. Like that stood out to me, you know, you staying behind and cleaning up. So ultimately Loyola had a kid who didn't make the test scores to get in. So they had, you know, an open roster spot. It was April of my senior year. I was, uh, I was driving home from spring break down in, uh, in Florida. And um, he called and was like, hey, I don't, you know, we don't have any scholarship money, but the spot's yours if you want it. And I had visited Loyola's campus, never done like an official visit or anything like that. But, you know, my parents and I drove around there. And, you know, for me, I just, I wanted to play at the highest level. I didn't want to go to prep school. I thought I was ready to play right away. I loved my coach, Coach Holthouse. He told me, hey, I think you'll enjoy it here socially and everything else. So I, it, it could have been, I mean, Mars University. I was going to go where anybody would have me that was playing, you know, what I perceived to be high-level college across. So um, I kind of just chanced into that one, but it, it worked out really well, obviously. Do, do you still, like, pinch yourself at just in terms of, like, whether it was – 
just sheer once one in a million luck or like do you kind of believe in some sort of like the stars aligned for me and I was supposed to go there like I don't want to be too heavy-handed but it's also like what are the odds that 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 happens like yeah I I've spent a lot of time with that man I don't yeah my my kind of nature is to more lean towards the stars aligned kind of thing I mean I, I just you know I, I think that um, even when we don't realize it, typically life kind of works in our favor. And, you know, there was clearly for me a reason to get to kind of end up there. And it was, yeah. I mean, it was hard, even, even making the decision not to go to Navy. You know, when you, when you do make a commitment to an academy, you know, yeah. you well of pride in that decision. And um, so I, you know, I had never really dreamed of the military being a path for me. You know, I was a really disciplined kid in high school. Um, so like it fit from that kind of standpoint, but I, I also like, and I, and I can look back and admit this, like I had forced the idea of service onto myself because of the opportunity to play lacrosse. And when I got that call from coach Toomey, in my heart, I knew right away what I wanted to do. Um, the harder part of that was like talking, frankly, was talking to my dad who was super supportive, but also, you know, Loyola is $50,000 a year and Navy's free. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously, you know, the academy education and what that can provide you and all that. So that was like a challenging time in my life to make a decision. And my mom just, you know, told me to trust yourself and, and trust your gut. And, you know, don't feel like dad and I know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. And, and that advice was, was meaningful. And my gut was really obvious to me at that point. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I did trust it. And, you know, I thought that I was going to a, a lesser lacrosse program. Again, not growing up, like watching lacrosse, I'd never heard of Loyola. Like I couldn't have told you who Ken Gettleman was or Matt Dwan or Charlie Toomey. Like this was all, I mean, I even remember when I showed up on campus, I couldn't have named, I couldn't have said who, you know, Cooper McDonnell and, and Steve Lane were our best players. Like I'd never heard of them. I'd never watched the game. I, I didn't know anything about it. Um, but what I did know is that, you know, my gut told me to go there. And our, my first game of my college career, we beat Navy in overtime. And I think that was like a stars aligned moment right off the bat where I, I was yeah. like, okay, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And obviously I was really enjoying the school experience as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know how that happened, but I'm glad it did. Well, you, you know, you went from April of your senior year, planning on going to Naps, to 2012, 2013, being captain, two-time captain, two-time All-American, just like you'd set out to. How, how long that two years of freshman and sophomore year, how much of an adjustment I mean, you heard the term Laxboro for the first time, your first week there. How quickly did that ramp you up and, and kind of get you acclimated to what you were doing in, in that, that program? Yeah, well, I think of the first two years, we're, we're learning experiences in different ways. Um, you know, without going into too much detail, like my freshman year, I had some issues off the field. Um, a lot of the, the guys in my class did. And, and uh, you know, we got in too much trouble. And I probably was making decisions that um, – you know, weren't the best ones and, and wasn't really representing myself, frankly, like just as a human the way I wanted to. And, and so I certainly, I think, just got caught up into going from like being in a high school where, you know, the football stars at my high school were big man on campus. And like, I, you know, people, half the school didn't know what lacrosse was, I mean, truly. So now to be at a school where it was like, we lacrosse players were put on this pedestal, you know, and I'm 18 years old, and this is happening for the first time. And, and I, so I think my freshman year was really just about learning to kind of find humility, you know, figure out my moral compass a little better, who I wanted to be, who I wanted to become, you know, and, and I went through some trials and tribulations 
frankly, mainly off the field. I mean, I was having success on the field. I was getting playing time. I was on man down right off the bat. I ended up starting the last couple games of our season and our tournament game. So, like, the on-the-field stuff clicked. And we had a really good team my freshman year with really good leadership. We, we ended up losing in triple overtime to Cornell in the NCAA tournament. They went on to the Final Four that year. Um, Army had upset Syracuse. So, like, we would have gotten Army in the second round. So, we were close, like, to being a Final Four team my freshman year. And we had a ton of seniors and all that. So I came back my sophomore year, much more mature, worked my butt off all offseason. Like on the field, I was ready to be a leader. I was ready to be one of the better players on the team. I also think that I was ready um, off the field to not make, you know, repeat some of those same mistakes. And I started to kind of find my rhythm and my comfort zone and, and campus life and all those things. Um, but we had a really tough season. And we, you know, one of the worst seasons Loyal has ever had, actually. And we lost, like, some really bad games that year. And so from that standpoint, it was really challenging. And even though I was had become one of the better players already, I wasn't ready to be, like, a vocal leader and to, like, help to change a culture. I was still very much following some of the older guys and things like that. And, and I say I. I think this applied for a lot of my classmates, um, which ended up being – you know, we had something like five seniors and 13 juniors when we won the championship. So a lot of the kind of leadership and talent was in my class. And a lot of us that sophomore year, although we were first line middies and we were on the field making plays, you know, we were silent in locker rooms and we weren't kind of setting a culture. So that was the big takeaway from my sophomore year. First year, first year was get my bearings, you know, figure my off the field stuff out. Sophomore year was get that you know, valuable experience and also just kind of learn what we didn't want a season and a, a culture to be like. Um, and then junior year, you know, I showed up ready to go. I, I knew I was going to be a captain. I knew I was going to be one of the best players. You know, we all as a group kind of knew we weren't going to make some of these same mistakes that, that we had, had been making. And, and that's where it all just kind of clicked, um, you know, not just for me, but for, for all of us. Yeah. So, you guys this is a is the PowerPoint presentation, Mitch? Is that the opening slide? I, I give what the YouTube gods give me or take what the YouTube gods give me, and this is what I got here. So this is, uh, this is the, from the 2012 season, at least according to the YouTube uh, caption on it. But That was um, the, the Randy Ratliff uh, cradle above cradle. the head there. Exactly. But see, with the long stick, that works. You know, if I had been told, Ryan, to cradle with my hand on the plastic, I would still be playing offensive midfield. <laughs> I mean, it was literally that simple of just like he never told me to move my top hand up. <laughs> Real quick, you now have a signature, a signature celebration. This this didn't make the cut, huh? Is this Tebowing? Yeah, but this was in Denver, and this was the year that Tebow was like going crazy on the Broncos. So oh, it was a very, it was very specific uh, celebration. Yeah, because I, I feel like this video is going to showcase you like really testing the waters with different celebrations over the. They used to get mad at me at Loyola, Coach, and we. I had a Zoom with our Loyola team the other day, and and Coach still brought up how much he hated that Tigo <laughs> celebration. I'm like, well, I bet you hated it. it. Got a nice raise after that season, so you probably couldn't. Pay that. <laughs> so no, but it, I mean, obviously this this year was was really cool and that that goal against Denver was in our conference tournament to win the game um, which was I had given up the game winning goal three days prior to Johns Hopkins and it was our only loss of the season so to get to, you know to bounce back the very next game get to score one of myself was uh, was a really meaningful moment for me in, in my career and um, you know this team was just so fun to play with you ran on four and threes and you threw it to Mike Sawyer and he scored every single time and about Mike um, Sawyer he was automatic that year they, you guys had some shooters. Um, 
there's there's one. That's some good range there, Rat. That little high bouncer. High to low. Not, you nope. you you probably choke up more on your shot than most poles I know. Is that from playing midfield? Is that just what you're comfortable with? What's the what's the reasoning there? Yeah, I think uh, I mean I choke up on my stick in general when I play just for for control. I mean I watch Brody Merrill and where he puts his hands and, it, and you know I, I, that's really who I who I. I tried to emulate it, or, or Joel White was the guy I was watching in college who was three years older than me. So the, the shooting part of it, honestly, Mitch, I'm just not that big. Like you look at like Jared Newman or Mike Earhart and they're, you know, they step in and throw it 115 miles an hour with their hands at the bottom of the stick. Like I can't do that. You know? <laughs> so I, I, you know, I choke up because I think I can get a little bit more power by taking a little bit of stuff out of it. Um, you know, I have a, a great partner in, in STX, but you know, I asked for um, the lightest stick they could possibly give me. Like, I'm talking, like, give me the stick you make for 10-year-olds and uh, I'll deal with it if it breaks. But I need every, all the help I can get to get power on those outside shots. Oh, look at wow, that. look at that hair. baby face. Young look rat at that baby hair. face. Let's get, a, let's get another look at that press conference here. <laughs> so who were some of the other studs on this 2012 team? Obviously, you had Hawkins. Yeah, I mean, Joe Fletcher. You know, Joe Fletcher was – a sophomore and he was our lockdown kind of close defenseman justin ward at x and, and lesby and sawyer kind of drove the offense lesby lesby was mvp he was most outstanding player right from that championship right. weekend smart park right. guy he, he couldn't miss and they and he was like for whatever reason he just was like always open like they like they would slide from him but then like there would never be a second slide like i just I recall watching this game that he was just like he was always open and he did not miss like that entire weekend. Well, we, you know, I think that was because of Mike. You know, we, Mike Sawyer was the best player on our team all season. And so when we got to the Final Four or to the quarterfinals, you know, so much of the defense was built towards we would just run mumbos both ways. And, you know, everybody was just paying attention to Mike's side and it just opened Eric up. And then Eric also, he started doing stuff in the – Final Four that we had never seen him do in four years. Like he's like calling <laughs> people, and like it was like, you know, he 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 worked his butt off, and he kind of went unconscious in that in that last weekend. And you know, I always tell people, I think it speaks to how good of a teammate Mike was. Though is it's easy to say like, oh, I'd support my teammates, but we're all you know we have ego, especially if you're as good as he is. And he didn't say beep in the the Final Four when he, I mean, he had something like two goals in those two games after leading us all season, but he just recognized, like, here's what's happening. You know, I'm getting a lot of attention paid to me. <laughs> Lesby's opening up and it's working. So that was kind of the nature of that team all season. And, and I think what made it so fun to be a part of was our coaches. You know, a lot of people talk about Brown in what, 2015 or whatever it was, kind of being like that, that running gun style. But, you know, I really thought we were, if, unless you want to go back to, you know, way back in the day when kind of everybody played that way. Um, I thought we were one of the first to really revolutionize like playing up tempo and they just made it very clear when we got there that hey you know if you if we if we get beat in time of possession by 20 minutes but we outshoot a team we're good with that so the only stat we paid attention to was shots and you know I remember in 2012 our first game against Delaware we didn't win by as much as maybe we could have but we had like 50 shots to their like 26 and I think we all realized like okay when you have Mike Sawyer and Eric Lusby and you're getting 50 shots like there's a good chance that, that we're going to have success here. So they, they really let us run free. They let their long pole shoot lefty on the run shots and playoff. <laughs> and, uh, and on a split dodge, a split dodge. <laughs> split dodge. It's, a, it's, a, it's not even a clean break. I think that's a slow break split dodge. 
but it sure made it fun to be a part of. And it, and it made us practice with more energy, like doing something different and knowing that we weren't going to have people every time I took a shot that was a bad shot. I wasn't going to have to come to the sideline and be told, like, what a huge mistake or what are you doing? Like, they let us play and they trusted us. And, and it really, um, like I said, it, it made it super fun to be a part of. Well, by the way, they just showed a shot a little while ago of you guys at the, the Loyola Stadium, cars everywhere, you guys playing Hopkins. And now here we are. They just slipped in a Boston versus Hamilton. This is at McMaster College. There couldn't have been more than a dozen fans in, the, in this. In this 55 yard line, 55 yard line. You got to be, you got to make sure you're uh, <laughs> on your toes. Nice this little slip and the crowd goes wild. My second goal of my pro career and, and RB, guess who threw it to me? Oh, I, I'm, I mean, you and Will, I think is something pretty special. Um, and, and the fact that you guys still get to, to play, you know, with each other now and the, the PLL. Um, I think it's so cool kind of having that guy that you came in with, right? And, and um, in, in terms of – and I think you guys, again, kind of lucked out in terms of who you came in with in terms of someone that high character, hard worker, like to be able to like kind of bounce ideas off of. Like what do you – like I'm sure that, that the fact that you guys came in together, um, that relationship has been tremendous and, and so helpful as you guys have both kind of progressed, with, with, you know, uh, across your careers. It's really amazing how many, like, if I were to, you know, clip a highlight tape of all my professional points, even not being teammates with Will for four years, it's still like 80% of them he's involved in. I mean, it was like yeah. years we weren't playing together. It was all-star games or like Team USA events and things like that. And, you know, that, the, that relationship has been huge for me as a, as a pro. But, like, there's just no, you know – I've never had a Hawkins would be probably the only other one that comes to mind, but just having like an on-field trust and connection with somebody that, you know, we really just, you know, I know where he's going to be. And, and um, I think my favorite thing, and I know this used to kill you back in the day, but like, Will will throw me the ball, even if I'm not open. <laughs> and <I know>. he, <laughs> he pumps self-belief into his teammates in that way though. I mean, Davey Emelo was a guy the year after, you know, you retired and yeah. had really never been played pro and before the season will's telling for 40 goals and i remember being like who is davy like what, what like <laughs> chill will but then he you know you get out there and will's chucking the ball at you and he's and, and trusting you in that way and it like it empowers you to believe in yourself a little bit more so i think he has improved dr drastically in his in his turnover margin and i'm sure he'd be the first <laughs> to do that. but uh but knowing when i cut that the ball is coming it helped you know, it, I, it, it, I, I'm all for building up confidence and, and you guys created, you know, quite the, uh, quite the, the, the synergy or quite the chemistry. I was just like, in the first year, I was just like, I don't think either of you know what you're doing. And, uh, and so the fact that both of you are making these decisions, you know, maybe, maybe let's temper this down a little bit. We don't need to do a give and go on a four on four break every time. Or uh, especially after we just put a long defensive possession, like we, we don't need to do the give and go every every single transition that situation. That's all we can do it some, but just not every time. Yeah, I'm, I'm I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> and I would just defer blame to Will. I'd be like, just because I cut doesn't mean he has to throw it. Like he's the no, attacker. Also, <laughs> with the TV timeouts, I mean, really, you got to break every five minutes. So come on, you can, I, we can do it. I. I I didn't really break out like offensively in the two years I played with you, Ryan, you know, before year three, obviously where we still had Mitch, but 
Um, I do remember one time I took like, I tried to, you know, I'd watched Joel White score like a diving behind the, the cage goal. And I was just like, this is a dream of mine. Like I want to score one of these goals in my life. So I remember trying one one week and, and I missed, I don't know if it got saved or I just missed cage. And I, and I just stand up and I'm like a little nervous at what you're going to be saying to me. And the first person I make eye contact with is RB and you, you just gave me kind of like a, like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right. That could have gone worse. <laughs> well, talk about that transition from Loyola to pro. You know, we, uh, what, when you were starting to wrap up your Loyola career, did you have an idea of like, I definitely want to continue professional lacrosse. Was it something that like, oh, give this a try? Did you have a career lined up off the field when you're coming out of school? Yeah, so truly, like, it had never crossed my mind until after we won the championship. And, and back then, the draft was um, before your senior season. It was, like, in the, whatever, January or something of, of when you were a senior. So, like, I, I can't stress enough. It just never crossed my mind that I would be able to play pro lacrosse. And then when we won the championship, I read, like, an inside lacrosse article that had me as one of their, like, draft picks or whatever and so I was like oh like maybe this is gonna be a thing like very similar to how I ended up at Loyola it was just out of like okay so now I've read that I'm gonna get drafted we go through the fall you know I end up getting picked by the cannons I you know look on the roster and see you guys and see Paul and I'm like holy shit like this is pretty cool I'm gonna get to play with these guys at the at the highest level um but you know I that wasn't like my career plan right and and so I I had interviewed and I ended up getting a job in banking. I worked at like a, a financial consulting firm in, in Manhattan there doing uh, consulting for commercial banking. And, and so I, you know, my plan was to kind of do that routine of, of the dual life of get into the finance world and then travel up to Bo obviously the location of Boston, New York city worked out really well. And, and so that was my game plan. And, and I got up there and I think your rookie season, you're still in college shape. So, you know, mm. I of course, getting my bearings and things like that. And, you know, being on a team with Kyle Sweeney, I, I knew I wasn't going to get to play long, long stick midi. Um, I, if I recall, I was kind of like the inside guy on our, on our defense. You were still guarding, you know, the, the Dodgers behind. And, um, and, and so I was just finding my way, but I felt confident. I felt good out there. I felt like I belonged um, for sure and really enjoyed the experience. So then year two was where this transition, like, kind of slapped me in the face. Like, I, I showed up for that second season and just – you know, I just didn't feel fast. I didn't feel like I could do any of the things that I, I believed I could do. You know, I still ended up starting every game and getting to play in every game that year. But I was, you know, I was, I was, for lack of a better phrase, like I felt like I was invisible out there. I wasn't making a lot of like really positive plays to help the team. I didn't feel like I was hurting us. You know, we weren't winning a ton of games or as many as we would have liked that season. So that was like the eye-opening year for me where it was like, okay, I don't know that, and there's guys that can do it and they blow me away, you know, Kevin Buchanan or John Rannigan or, you know, they can, yourself, Mitch, frankly, that can just work the way you guys do and play in both leagues. But I just realized, like, if I'm going to become great as a professional cross player, I'm going to have to commit to it full time. And, you know, I liked my, my, well, I don't know if I liked my job in New York City, but I appreciated what I was learning and the work ethic I was gaining and, and some of the skill sets I was finding. And I, I loved the city. So, so that part of it was hard to leave, but I just, you know, the, the, that same advice I talked about when I chose Loyola, it was my mom again in my ear just saying, trust yourself. And it was my dad again saying, you better not quit that freaking banking job for, for a $6,000 a year salary for Boston Cannons. But, um, you know, I, I, I kind of 
just went with that same, like, I trusted my gut. I knew what I wanted. I getting introduced to guys like yourself, you know, and, and even Paul um, at that time, um, you know, I, I think he's, he's really different now than he was when we were teammates originally, but just seeing somebody on my team who had created, you know, multiple people on my team who had created careers that not even if it was like, right, Paul was this lacrosse brand, you guys with, with Trilogy had, had you know, gotten into this camp and, and club space. Um, even Kyle Sweeney, who went, you know, the Maverick route and started a, was involved in starting a lacrosse company. What I saw was a network of individuals who could help me to figure out a path that works for me and allowed me to do both. So that's what I, I really was attracted to because I knew if I could find some career that, you know, was involved in the game still that I could have a stick in my hands a lot more that I could justify, you know, taking a couple hours out of my day to train and, and things like that. So uh, that's when I made the decision to, to leave the job in, in, in banking and, and I moved back to Atlanta and I got involved with club across as essentially a way to um, appease my father that I would at least have like some guaranteed income, you know, coming my way while I, I figured it out. And um, of course, you know, I look back uh, at that at Loyola and at that as two of the major turning point decisions in my life where that same piece of advice of just kind of trust yourself um, really like, you know, showed up for me and, and, in my opinion, proved to be the, the, you know, the right advice and the right decision in the long run. You, you bring up an interesting point. That, like, 2012 to 14 era team with the Cannons, there, there were a lot of guys doing lacrosse full-time that are still involved in lacrosse heavily, which is, is pretty – we talked with someone about this, Ryan. Maybe it was on – it might not have been on a trip to lacrosse theater, but we were talking about how that team – just had a group of guys that found niches within the sport of lacrosse and in sports in general. It's, it's awesome to hear like that that did trickle down and like in some of the decision-making of the younger guys. It's well, it was the same with Manny. I mean, Will took a job with Bank of America. That's yeah. the same time I did. And so like, we really, again, went on a shared path and then with similar pressure from his parents, <laughs> um, he went to like grad school and coached and he coached with Pasque who was on our yep. team and was coaching at Wagner. So like him and I both like equally kind of tiptoed our way from like the corporate America traditional path into realizing like, okay, you know, we can, we can make this work. And of course, you know, I moved home to Atlanta and I started training full time and I came back year three and I had probably the best season of my life. And then you know, and here it is. Look at that right on cue. You, you queued it up perfectly. 2015, your third year in the league at 13, 14. And then we get the signature Ratliff uh, glass punch, right? Yeah. It's the heartbreaker. Yeah. So that was the, was that the, all the time spent at home in Atlanta was just perfecting different celebrations. You're in the lab, like, <laughs> uh, maybe left and then right. The, uh, the high school practices are a good place to perfect celebration. <laughs> the, the heartbreaker came from, uh, from my roommate at the time, who was a big hockey fan and uh, he was a Blackhawks fan. And Pat Kane does this thing where he goes down on the knee and draws the heart. So he was like in my ear about, you know, if you score, do it, do it. And, I tell, I, I use this as an example of showing kids how habits, you know, are so important because the first heartbreaker I ever did, I didn't do it until I almost got to the box because I, it wasn't a habit. I hadn't thought about it. And then like his voice came in my head, like heartbreaker. And I did it. Then all of a sudden you score a few goals and you start doing it more and more. And now like this season, I was like, all right, I'm not going to do the heartbreak anymore. It's time to mature in here and not celebrate. And I can't help myself. It goes in and like my natural instinct is just to do it. And then after I'm like, like I'm incapable of doing anything else anymore. Well, talking about instincts, like this place particular, see if I can get back to it. There's uh, 
there's one from the All-Star game where you, myself, and Max, we were teammates, and we were in the All-Star game down in Houston. And he was on a fast break. And, uh, and you came down, and you had a diving check to knock the ball away from his stick. I think you broke his thumb in that. <laughs> and yeah. it was the All-Star game. I, I, I think – did I miss it already? Do you remember what I'm talking about? There it is. Right there, right there, right there. Yeah, that's the play right there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Max was too happy that, uh, that you took him out. But that's just like you know, that's how you play. That's how you. That's how you work, and it becomes a habit, right? Yeah, and it's like I mean, what, what you know? I wouldn't be an all star if I didn't play like that. That's the point. Like you're out there to showcase the fact that you shoot too. Is like what got me here is that I sprint all over the field. So I'm supposed to show what I do well. That's the you know the whole point of of uh, the game, in, in my opinion. So uh, that was a memorable play because he was so fast and so I, I love the fact that I even though I'm you know he was jogging I love the fact that I had a chance to run him down and yeah he was mad at me he says I hurt his thumb but he didn't have any time so it was fine this is this this goal right here is one of my all-time favorites uh out in mile high I don't remember if this is a fourth of July game probably not I think the crowds but this little Will Will Manny backdoor alley-oop is still I think one of my all-time favorites Will and I talk about it often. I think this is probably my favorite play ever as well. And again, this goes back to if I had time to think about that, I mean, what a terrible decision probably to throw that pass. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, that, I just had that trust in Will. Like if I see that it's, it's not even seeing him. And this is what Will does. I mean, if you, if you look right here too, like what he does better than anybody else is he flashes his stick where he wants you to throw it. And so like I don't look for him. I see him like right here, put his stick out in front, and then I just – throw it there and it was the same thing on that back door cut I remember my goal was to dodge Drew and score and he landed a pretty good jam and just out of the corner of my eye I just see Will stick like up in the air on a back cut and I just throw the ball towards his stick and you know way more so than me like he doesn't ever let me down when I, when I throw it to him of course so um, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna keep doing that. And this is some ridiculous feed and, and to your point like I guess, where did that come from? Where did that instinct, how did you, was it playing other sports? Was it back to your kind of midfield days in, in high school? Uh, is that where that, that, that vision and, and feeding ability came from? Yeah, but basketball. I was, I was basketball. in basketball and that was always my, you know, that was my sport, frankly, for a long time. I wanted it to be my, my best sport, but, uh, you know, lacrosse <laughs> overtook it a little bit there. But I think that's definitely where that comes from. I think I was a pretty good passer in basketball. And so I, you know, I understand where guys are going to slip to and where the feeding lanes are and, and things like that. And, you know, I mentioned it before, but I've been lucky to score a lot of goals, but I don't really think I'm a great shooter. You know, I think I'm a pretty good finisher inside. Um, but like, I've got to be in good situations to score from the outside where the goalies are moving and things like that. Like if goalies have a chance to just track me stepping into a shot I don't shoot at a terribly high percentage so just knowing that about my game like Will shoots a lot better than I do so I'm I'm just always of the mindset of, of pass first and I think the advantage you get with a long pole is people aren't used to it even if the scouting report on me says like, treat him like a midi there's still this instinct of if somebody sees me crow hop a lot of guys just freeze and they think oh we're gonna watch him launch a two-pointer well, here it is right here you can see that right you're People are unsure of how to approach you right there. And you keep the super high cradle going. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I, I try to use that to my advantage. And I love to feed out of that crow hop. And, and uh, again, Will, the thing I love about him as a player is he never, he never, you know, a lot of guys, like, like you look right there, when I'm coming down the alley, Will's going to the pipe. And, and a lot of attackmen I've played with will start to fade to X and not be like a scoring threat. 
he plays right behind his defender's head. And so I think part of the reason I find him so often is because I'm just looking to pass to anybody. And he always makes himself an option in a dangerous spot. And, and so that makes him, again, easy for somebody like myself to play with. And, um, you know, and then I can pick and choose when I'm wide open, like in situations like that. Or I like shooting when I'm catching the ball from the other side of the field because I know now the goalie has had to track the ball, reset himself. He might not be centered. Um, so I, I'm, I'm aware of things like that, of, you know, shooting off the dodge, probably isn't my biggest strength or just like carrying the ball into a shot, but um, drawing attention and moving it or shooting off of feeds from other people from the other side of the field or, or when I've had most of my success. And, and, you know, having that 2015 successful season where you start feeling good, was it, was it the following summer where the blaze was, it was 2016, right? Where the blaze came about and that I got to imagine, I, I remember, like seeing that and being like, well, we lost Rat and, and being bummed from a teammate perspective, from a, you know, offensive threat perspective, but at the same time being like, it's, it's got to happen, right? For the sport, for you, like for the city, like it's got to happen. And so when that came to fruition, what were your feelings about that? And, and you know, was there any conflicted feelings or were you like, I, I have to do this? Yeah, I mean, they were conflicted. We were, we were so good in 2015. <laughs> We were so close, you know, we, we lost that overtime game, um, you know, to, to go to the championship. And uh, I think there was part of me that was a little naive to just how hard winning is. You know, I won my junior year of college and then my third year of the MLL, we have this great season. We almost win again. So in my mind, I'm like, well, easy. Like, well, I just recreate this. Like wherever I go, we'll win by year three. It's been proven to me already twice. <laughs> so I was able to, you know, again, I was back home coaching and at that point, I was full-blown. Like, I mean, I, I was out on the field every day. Like, I don't think there was a kid in Atlanta between 2014 and 2017 that played lacrosse that I didn't coach. And it was just – it had become such a big part of my life that, yeah, I wanted to take that opportunity to kind of, like, try to help bring the program game there and try to be an ambassador of it. And I felt like it would be a major miss if, you know, they were playing and I wasn't a part of it at that point. Um, Will, you know, most, most – all of my teammates were really supportive besides Will. Um, he was frustrated with me which uh, at the time you know I just shot him down and was like you know give me a break our friendship goes beyond this blah 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 we he moved on from it but like looking back I think you know if, if pro lacrosse was where it is now then I don't know that I make that decision um, and knowing what I know now but yeah at the time it just felt like it was the obvious thing for me to do and you know it's funny I haven't won a playoff game um, since college so I now, going into year eight, have very new perspective over just how rare it is to, to be a part of a team like that and have everything click. And, you know, I certainly – I feel that way about my team right now, but, but we still have to get out there and prove it. And, and I, while Mitch runs these highlights, I think that to, to, the, to the naive point or the naivety, I think um, I went through the kind of a similar thing when, when my, my team got disbanded, I guess. You don't realize how – like the thing that you talked about, Will, in terms of the trust that was built, like you don't really realize how much of it is relationship driven actually. And, and not just like a talent thing. Like you could throw a bunch of talent together. Um, but like going through adversity, having challenges, um, frankly, like losing together, but also like understanding how hard you got to work to win sacrifices. You're going to make like, you, you kind of throw this like, each you, other, right? you got to trust like, like you get thrown on these new teams. You're like, I don't, and you're like, I don't know who these guys are. And then you kind of forget, like, wait, I haven't, like, built any, like, sweat equity with them. Like, they don't know 
what I've done. And like, I've got to like reprove myself kind of all over again to these guys. Definitely. And it, you know, Atlanta, those three seasons were some of the most challenging of my athletic career. And, you know, part of what, what made that decision so easy for me, which, which you may or may not remember, Mitch was, you know, coach Tucker before I left, they had let coach Tucker go or, or he took, decided to take the job in Atlanta. And, you know, he was really important to me at that time. And like, you know, had just had this breakout season and I felt like I had a ton of trust in him and he had that in me. And then, you know, my best friend outside of Will on that team was Adam Gittleman. And we, you know, we protected Jordan Burke and, and let Adam Gittleman go. And so I knew he was going to be in Atlanta. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, well, I got coach Tuck and I got Gitz and myself and we, you know, we can start with this kind of similar leadership core. Um, but you know, that, that didn't really work out so well. Um, you know, Coach Tuck ended up getting fired four games into our first season in Atlanta, and um, we went through all sorts of adversity in, in a lot of different fashions down there. So, again, just, you know, there was much more than, than Coach Tuck and, and Gets. I mean, that entire team in Boston was, was so close. And, you know, we talked about my offense, and obviously the highlight tapes are, are all offense, but that defense we had in Boston with, you know, yourself and Brody and Chad and myself, and it, it just – it fit together so well. And, you know, you guys knew how I played and sometimes I was over aggressive and you were always right there on the two side. And I knew I could jump picks because you were flying to slips. And there was like things about the way I played that when I got to Atlanta defensively didn't work. And, you know, we weren't all on the same page and I was, you know, I was jumping picks and, and chasing guys all over the field, but behind me, they weren't prepared for it. So it, it was a humbling experience. Um, getting to Atlanta and, and kind of seeing how hard it really is to, to build it. And it wasn't like we didn't have talent. I mean, Kevin Rice, that first year in Atlanta was going to win MVP before he tore ACL. I mean, we, we still had talent, but we just didn't, we lost close games. And I think that's where that shows up when you don't have that trust and that continuity. Um, you know, you don't, you don't win those one goal games, which we didn't do that in any of my three seasons there uh, with the Blades. And what what was what was probably the brightest moment of of that time with the Blaze? Because obviously, you know, it was challenging on field. But I got to imagine getting all your friends and family to come to games and seeing the kids that you coached for years get to come and see you play had to be some of the highlights. But do you have any one moment that sticks out? You know, to be honest with you, and I I I hate to even have to frame it like this, but but the team didn't do a very good job of you know. I don't, I don't know what you want to say, marketing themselves or integrating themselves into the community. And like, we never had a game with like a huge crowd or like, you know, and yeah, so I, it, it was cool at first seeing the kids I coached, but by that second, third year, it was the same 600 people in the stadium for every game. And it just, it almost became more disheartening than it was exciting because we were just really struggling to sell tickets. We were on the low end of attendance all the time. And, and so you know, that piece of it was hard. And I was putting a lot of time into trying to help, you know, generate buzz for the Blaze. And so to see that not really working was frustrating. I think, you know, the, the, the probably the most rewarding part of, of the time was our last stretch. We, the third season, our last season there. And, you know, at this point, Adam and I, um, referring to Gittleman, had just felt like we'd been through the ringer together. I mean, we went through, you know, Coach Tucker, who we both love dearly, gets fired halfway through our first season. Then Coach Huntley, who, you know, both of us, I mean, really, really became close with him. I spent a lot of time in those two years with Huntley and learning and, and not just lacrosse. Like he helped me. I mean, he, he, unleashed, he unleashed you probably more so than any other coach you've had in terms of on-field liberties. Is that fair? 
Yeah, that is fair. But he also he also taught me how to recognize my ego and how it shows up in my game. And despite and that, it seems weird because he was leaving me on the field the entire time, which which you would think would only <laughs> reiterate some of my my beliefs that I don't need to ever come off and things like this. But he sat down and had a lot of honest conversations with me about the differences. And again, I, I bring him up specifically between yeah. me and Brody, you know, and he was like, you know, you worry first about yourself and second about at the time my, my backup poll was Matt Hasek. And he was like, the, you know, the moment you start worrying more about Matt Hasek's success than your own, you have a chance to become great. And I think that I'd always considered myself unselfish. And that's what I mentioned before. Like, I don't think acknowledging ego is, I mean, all of us who reach a super high level have it and you have to have it. But I think there does come a certain point where like that chip on your shoulder mentality can only take you so far. And like, I had to, I had to take a step in terms of, am I, I know I say I am, but am I really prioritizing winning over anything else? Or am I prioritizing my role in winning, you know, alongside of it? And he, he was the first coach. And, and I look back now and I think Toomey tried to teach me that in different ways, but I think Huntley was the first one that really got through because of his just, he was just frank as hell. Like he wasn't going to mince words or like hide it. And he showed me, he believed in me and cared about me, but he also really addressed some areas that he thought I could improve. And so I was so thankful for that. And then he passes away, you know, and, and I was with Gittleman. Um, we were together on a, a trip in Central America where we were coaching when that happened. And that was hard for me. Um, you know, he, he, that, that relationship, those two years was really important to me. He had played against my dad. You know, we had yeah. some family when he would come into town and things like this. And so that was tough. And then, you know, they hire Liam Banks for my third season, who I was super close with and, and still am. And so I was really excited about that. And we got like some new blood pumped into our team. We, you know, we drafted Connor Kelly, Christian Cuccinello, who you now see are having a lot of success at the professional level. Um, and we, we picked up Joe Nardella, who was from that Boston team. And we ended up, you know, we had a bad start to the season. And then we ended up winning our, basically our five straight games to go into the last game of the season. And it was a win in your end game against the Outlaws. And so this was, that was the high point of my Atlanta career was that stretch where like, finally, it just started to click into place. And we started winning and, and um, having a lot of success. And then we ended up losing to the Outlaws in that game who by one goal. And they went on to win the championship. And Connor Kelly hit the what we thought was a two pointer to tie with like five seconds left and his foot was on the line. And, you know, this was how close we were to, you know, possibly kind of being back in the playoffs. So like, it was almost bittersweet. We, we had really strong ownership in Atlanta that third season. So it was like, we finally got the ball rolling and then, you know, the PLL came. And, and for me, it was, you know, it was too far gone. That was a, a no brainer decision. Um, so it, it stunk to have to kind of, you know, leave something you started to feel really good about. But again, I, I you know, that, at that point, six years in, in the MLL, I felt like I'd been through the trenches and, and I was, you know, pretty sure that I wanted, uh, I wanted to try something new. Yeah. And what was that, you know, talk about your, the first year in the, in the PLL, obviously you got a, a unique situation to, to play in a couple of weeks um, where most sports don't, but what was that situation like the first year comparing it versus the MLL and kind of what was promised versus what was delivered and, and that whole experience. And I'll run some tape of you, uh, obviously just playing offense the whole time. <laughs> I, that's all, I, I learned that at a young age. If you want to get in the paper. Uh, <laughs> so, um, 
the experience was was incredible. I mean, it just it started with training camp, and you know, there's no one thing you can like pinpoint, but the professionalism and, and the organization of everything was just beyond anything I'd experienced in, in my six years of pro lacrosse. And so, you know, I think every guy had their reasons behind what decisions they made as far as that was concerned. But for me, it was, you know, I, I've established kind of a, if you want to call it a career, I laugh because I don't really exactly know what my job is, but I do things that people pay me for. And I feel relatively established in that. And uh, so it wasn't like a money thing for me where it was like, I felt like I needed to be paid more. It was just that I wanted the sport to grow. I've invested so much time. And, and, and when I say the sport, I mean, professional lacrosse specifically. And, you know, I, I just believed in the vision that Paul and Mike laid out when they presented it and thought, this is a better strategy than any I've seen to grow our game and to get more eyes on it and to get more people to become fans of lacrosse. And I think right off the bat from training camp on through the season, you know, they not only delivered, but exceeded on my expectations. Is that to say that there's not a single flaw, that there's not mistakes or things that maybe we could have done differently sure I'm sure there are but you know for the most part uh, and you just look at the crowds and look at the production quality of this and and I never had kids at my club practice talk to me about MLL highlights or what happened in games this weekend or things like that and last year you know I would come home and they knew every single storyline they had listened to the mic'd up they knew all the plus so like it became really obvious to, for, to me to see just like the impact it made with the visibility they provided, you know, specifically through social media. That, that was like the, the lowest hanging fruit that, that really frustrated me about the previous league was just their inability to capitalize on such an obvious forum where all these kids and, and people eyes are. So that whole experience was amazing. And then I, I just got really lucky. I, I um, you know, every bit of turmoil, whether it's COVID or, or anything else, I feel really, really lucky to be a part of the Archers locker room. And so beyond just going to the PLL, but getting to go on a team with a Tom Schreiber and, and a Marcus Holman leading the way, um, you know, a, a guy like Matt McMahon on defense, who I've loved to play with, and then to still have these guys who, you know, I have this long built relationship and trust with in Will and in Adam Gittleman, um, that piece of it is just, you know, that was a dream come true to, to all of a sudden be teammates with, you know, my five or six best friends in the league. Um, that was really, really unique and cool and, and made it fun. Yeah, and the irony there is going back to, like, the transition from Boston to Atlanta, you feel like you, you're like, I got to learn all these guys and I got to reprove myself. And I, I think, you know, arguably the, the strength of the first year was just the roster construction. Um, and, you know, would love to kind of get, you know, what was your reaction when you saw, when you saw it get released? And, and to, you know, you just kind of pointed out, like, oh my God, five, five to six of my best friends are on this team. So like, what was your reaction when, when those rosters kind of came out? Like, uh, you know, certain guys were like, oh my God, I, I get to play with him. Or like, yeah, kind of talk us through the emotional aspect. I thought we were never going to lose a game. <laughs> <laughs> Confidence at an all time high. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I've got hope I'm not going to get him in trouble here, but you know, I knew of the rosters before they came out just through my relationship with Tom and, you know, yeah. he was working with the league and was involved in that. And he called me. Um, something that probably a lot of people don't know is, like, a huge portion of this original Archers roster has either played together in Hawaii. I'm wearing the, the Wimmer Solutions shirt mm -hmm. right now. Um, or has, like, traveled internationally together in some capacity. And so that, like, where, like, some teams had the college flair and the other things. I think people yeah. don't realize, like, we – we, a, a bunch of us have played together or have gone on these, you know. The globe hopping connection. 
Exactly. <laughs> we, we, we like to call it the give and go squad, but you know, you that's a plug there. But uh, um, so, so Tom calls me and he's like, hey, so, you know, we're, I'm starting this roster project and I'm curious, like, here's how we're doing it. We're trying to give familiarity. Like, who are some guys that you feel like you'd want to play with? And I didn't think I, like, I didn't want to just start naming off these, all these all-star players. Cause I guess I just hadn't conceptualized in my head, like what 16 league looks like and how talented each team is. So yeah. I remember being like, well, man, like, I don't want to be like prima donna about this, but like, I really want to play with Will, you know? And I was just like, that's the one for me that like, it just, it's really important. And he was like, well, Tom was like, well, yeah, I mean, right now I had you, me, Will, Marcus, Adam. <laughs> and I was like, that's, we can do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> So, so it was just excitement, like right off the bat. And then to see the full roster and, and there are guys that I, I wasn't familiar with. We obviously, we have a lot of UNC on the team. You know, I hadn't played with a guy like Bones Kelly. Um, Dominique Alexander was somebody I was super excited to play with. I'd kind of admired him from afar and, and competed against him in college. So there were parts of the team that I knew I was going to learn. I, you know, the Ohio machine defense was kind of, yeah transplanted over him but I watched that defense play and I said well you know what you know Brian Carolunas and I probably have a lot in common he plays aggressive like me likes to take chances throw checks so I, I did suspect that I would have to adjust a little bit to maybe more of a sliding defense than I'd been playing in in Atlanta um, mm -hmm. but I felt like I would plug in and fit well with with that group on the defensive end and, and so it was really just excitement and then obviously as you start to assess the other teams you realize like okay we're not going to win every game like every team's loaded and I think that was my takeaway once the full rosters came out and I really had a chance to look at it and, and realize you know just how deep the uh, the talent was on on every team and what are you looking forward to the most about this this PL season short oh, season, the, the championship series you know that's a that's a good question man it's I, I've been explaining this to people it's it's still hard for me right now to feel like fully excited and it's, you know, it feels like it's been an eternity that I've been working. You know, I, I really recommitted myself this off season. I think mentally to just like, you know, I'm, I'm at going into year eight and it's like, okay, am I winding down or am I just getting started? And, you know, I think that the toll that the blaze took on me a little bit mixed with some adversity of kind of going through a, uh, getting cut from team USA when, you know, I, I, that was something I really wanted. I think I was starting to like, even if it was not so much a conscious decision, I think subconsciously I was starting to put a little bit more of my heart into other things I was doing in my life. Um, and this all season, just after last year, I think I really had kind of this excitement built back up. And so, you know, I knew diet and, and kind of new habits around my discipline, the way I was going to approach my life the entire off season. And so when COVID hit, it was a little bit like, uh oh, like I just did all of this preparation and now like what am I gonna have to wait an entire another year for, for a chance to play? Um so that was was a bit challenging. So what I'm most looking forward to is just to, you know, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. it's a cliche and I know everybody's saying it, um, but I'm right there as well and, and I'm proud of of the way I've prepared and I feel as healthy as I've ever, you know, felt in a long time going into a season. So from all those standpoints, like I'm just excited to see and get out there and see where I'm at you know, and, and get to see if all this preparation is going to pay off and if I'm going to be able to have the type of performance I feel like I can. Um, so that's, that's what I'm excited for. But I'm, it's also just it's so fragile, you know, and I've got a COVID test I have to pass. And I'm in a state where cases are spiking. And, you know, there's other professional athletes at my gym who have gone back to their leagues and have tested positive. And, it, you know, it makes me um, weary to just like allow myself to fully get excited for this. I think once I'm kind of 
stepping out on that field for game one, it's going to hit me like, yeah. okay, this is happening. We pulled this off. So until then, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, if, if I'm being honest. Awesome. Well, we, we certainly are looking forward. I'm personally looking forward to watching. I think, you know, it's going to be awesome to see it back on TV and, and have it. Um, listen, looking forward to listening to Ryan call it. And uh, I think, you know, we'll all be glad to get some sense of normal. It's going to be like the old, uh, the old Rochester days where you can hear the broadcaster while you're playing. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be able to hear Ryan's voice. Yeah, I, we, we probably just don't even need to do the in-helmet thing. I should probably just yell down and then just have the person just yell right back up. I, we can do in-game interviews for everybody. Just you know, it's amazing. So I might, I might run that by. I might run that by NBC. Just uh, I'm just gonna yell down the guys. They can just yell back. So yeah, good idea. Good idea, guys. Um, it's inspirational. Well, we always finish with with some quick hit questions. Uh, we've we've taken a lot of your time, and I appreciate that. And it's always just. So fun to catch up with with guys about the the good old days, but also about you know all the different ways that lacrosse has impacted you and the people. And it's I think that's the most amazing part of this whole experience and doing these these Zoom calls with everyone is like there's so much interconnectivity, but also all these different relationships and how different relationships have manifested themselves um, with different people. So I think it's it's been really fun to do. Um, but with that, what is the best place to play lacrosse for you? Good question. Um, the best place to play lacrosse for me has got to be Ridley Athletic Complex in, in Baltimore. Uh, if you could be a professional in any other sports league, I know you talked about your, your NBA dreams. Would it be the NBA or another league? Yeah, yeah, the NBA, for sure. Atlanta Hawks? Yeah, let's go. The Hawks, <laughs> put me out there with Trey. Let's do it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't take another franchise if you could? I am an Atlanta homer, man. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work man. out for the first time. <laughs> I, I mean, what other franchise do I want to go to? No, I wouldn't take another franchise. I'd play, I'd play for the Hawks. Okay. Uh, uh, go ahead. Favorite low-key Atlanta restaurant? Someone comes to town, don't – you're not sending to the glitz of the glam, and don't say Waffle House. You can't cop out of the <laughs> Waffle House. Where, what, uh, what's your favorite kind of truly local joint? Sure. Great question. I should have known uh, a question like this was, was coming from you. Uh, um, okay. So my favorite low key Atlanta spot, I'm going to, I'm going to give two if that's okay. Okay. Of course. Yes. There's one that's called Geo's chicken and it is, okay. uh, it's attached to a, a really famous place called Antico's, which is a pizza spot and they do like uh, Italian style pizza. Um, and it's, it's, Really small, kind of hole in the wall, really authentic, you know, BYOB, delicious. They, they, they have four meals that you get to choose from, and that's it. And each one Love comes it. with a salad. So that, that's kind of always been a favorite of mine here. And then uh, more recently, I've been, been going to – I like Italian. I'm a, I'm a wine guy. So, you know, I like a, a good pasta and, and red wine dinner. And uh, there's a place called Il Localino, which is in, um, which is in an area called Inman Park. And it is, uh, again, I just, I think of it as being a really authentic Italian. You walk in, the owner of the restaurant's massive man, and he sits in a stool right there. He greets you. He sits next to this huge cheese wheel. Um, and it just has like a, a, a really good vibe. And of course, you know, delicious food. And, and I've had some good memories there. So those would be the, the two that I would present to you. Nice. Yeah. There's, oh, there's, a, there's a famous saying, never, never trust a skinny chef. 
Um, so, yeah, uh, we, it, it definitely uh, checks that off. Yeah, no. Do you have a uh, Do you have a most embarrassing lacrosse moment? Um, a most embarrassing lacrosse moment. So I, I think I got to go back to high school uh, for this one. The only thing that like jumps out at me when I think of embarrassing. Well, you asked about high school highlights. I get embarrassed anytime anybody sees me in a picture of me from high school because I just have the gear and just everything it could not be more off which speaks to the fact that I just played for four years in high school with my with second bar and not a single coach or player <laughs> was ever like hey you should fix that just shows where lacrosse was at in South at that time um, but I, I can remember in this kind of I've had to learn these lessons of, of smack talk and the number of times but I was a uh, you know, there were a lot of football players running around out there that, that weren't very good lacrosse players. And I remember being in a game and, you know, spinning by somebody or something like that and turning, uh, turning around kind of like this clip that's on ESPN everywhere and, and like giving them a little wave or I think I would turn and said something. And when I turned back around, the hardest I've ever been hit in my life just got, you know, <laughs> and, um, I'm jogging. So I get up right away and we, we turn the ball over. I ignore defense and I'm just jogging towards the box you know, the, my sidelines all like saying like, get in on D, you just turned it over. I'm like disoriented and I get to the sideline and I just remember their entire bench was looking at me and I just threw up <laughs> like, <laughs> all in the, right in the box. And of course the bench was all just like, and, like I was just like, that, that was pretty uh, amazing. I think that's what we call an undiagnosed concussion, Scott. <laughs> yeah, 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 it wasn't a good scene at all. Um, oh, um. How about best, oh, Lord. That's a, best teammate? That's a doozy. Had. The best teammate uh, I've ever had. I mean, God, there's a lot of them, but Adam Gittleman stands out to me. I mean, th you should see what he does for the Archers right now. I mean, he leads film study. He puts together scouting reports. He, um, the, his impact on our team isn't even close to measured by what he does in the, in the staff. And it's, he's always been a great teammate. I mean, I think if you remember that 2015 season when he wasn't starting and him and Ryan Young were, you know, on the sideline, banging the boards and chirping. I love it. Um, but he's like, he's matured in his ability to lead, not just, I mean, he had a great season in the cage and I think he's going to have another one. Um, but the, the, the things, the invisible things that he does behind the scenes are, you know, and I really respect him. Um, all right. You get one memory that you can keep. Top memory, top lacrosse memory. Uh, you can only keep one. What is your all-time high lacrosse memory? I can only keep one lacrosse memory. I mean, <laughs> there's like three-fourths of my life I consider a lacrosse memory. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> the amount of like traveling. Sorry, your, your brain is turned to mush. You're, everything's <laughs> <laughs> It's just like I, 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 I tie so many things to lacrosse because so many relationships I have come from it. And, and things like that, that, that to me, it's like, this wouldn't have even happened without lacrosse. But if, if I got to get specific, I mean, you can't beat winning a national championship and uh, yeah. the uniqueness, like specifically beating the University of Maryland and kind of the moment after the game that I was able to share with my dad, um, you know, it just felt like it did feel like I, you know, that was for both of us, not just for him. And, and I'll end, and this might be a story you guys haven't heard, um, the, the story from that championship weekend when we whatever, we win the semis and we're in the hotel the night before the, the championship game. And my dad gets a, is on like a text chain with a ton of uh, Maryland alumni and um, the ex defensive coordinator, coach Slavs, Slavsky, yeah. he was kind of the organizer of it and just giving all these. Yeah. Alumni yeah. 
And the text comes in that, that was like this article about Team USA hockey in the, when they, in the miracle year, how they had to beat Canada in, this, in the second place game. And they still had to beat Finland to win the gold medal. Well, that year, Maryland was unseeded. And they beat, they, before us, they beat Hopkins and then Duke in the quarters and then the semis. And the text was essentially comparing what mm. Maryland was doing. And it was saying, well, like, we still have to beat Finland, but we're like, we're so close. And so it was calling us Finland. And, you know, we were 18 and one and we were the number one seed in the tournament. So my dad, you know, came by the hotel and showed me the text and, and forwarded it to me. And um, I read it to the team the night before the game. And again, does that, does that have anything to do with why we won the game? No. But, you know, it, it resonated, I think, with everybody, and especially with Coach Toomey, who felt a little disrespected. I think Tillman was in the text as well, and, and Toomey didn't like that. And uh, so after we won that game, I, Toomey, when he shook Tillman's hand, said, like, a little better something like, we're a little better than Finland, aren't we? And uh, I had, like, a, a reporter say, like, yeah, we heard you got your hands on a text message, and, like, it started to become a story. And so, of course, I was like, no, no, I don't know. You know, I wasn't going to throw my dad under the bus. But, but I tell the story because specifically, like, it was more than just a championship to me. It was to beat the school that I'd always dreamed of going and my dad's alma mater and then to look up and see him in, you know, green and gray striped shirt with like the biggest smile I'd ever seen on his face. So that, that's a moment that um, is less about the game and more just about, I think, what that meant to him and I, the amount of time he'd spent with me, you know, loading up the van, driving all over the country, the energy, the effort they, that both my parents put into me getting recruited. I mean, we had spreadsheets that were, okay, here's the five coaches we know, here's every connection they have, and we use that to like make a master list. And, and this wasn't 16-year-old me doing this. This was my dad and my mom recognizing the dream I had and, and putting in a lot of effort for it. So sharing that moment with him, both my parents, but him specifically, um, after, after that game, you know, that, I think that's going to be hard for me to beat in, in my lacrosse career. But I'm going to try. <laughs> well, I... I, I I don't know if you're gonna have that to like your son, because I mean, I, dear God, I'm I'm getting emotional over here. I don't know about you, Mitch, but I hear you. But you know what comes close for me is 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 coaching, is you know specifically the things I do with 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 Adam and through our foundation, um, and, and traveling to places. Like when I go coach in Europe, it reminds me of what Atlanta was like when I was a little kid. You know, it mm. does exist. And people are familiar with it, but they don't have a respect level yet. And a lot of them don't take themselves seriously yet. So that, you know, is the second thing that jumped into my mind is, is there like one moment from international travel of getting to spread the game? Because I just know the impact lacrosse can have in your life. I wasn't a very confident kid. I was shy in high school and the sport just helped me to learn how to express myself and, and how to find confidence and brought me these friends and brought me these great life experiences. So I just really believe in, you know, that old adage of growing the game, but what it can do for somebody when you give it to them and when you kind of show them the community it invites them into. So like, that's, that's, I think what I'm chasing a little bit now is, and, and what you guys obviously do such a good job of and have done with for so long with Trilogy is just, you know, get, bringing the sport to more people and giving more people the opportunity to have what I've had in my life, which, uh, you know, I've got zero complaints. That's for sure. Well, Rat, thanks so much for, uh, Spending time, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's about giving it, paying it forward. Obviously, your dad showed that with you, and, and now you get the opportunity to do that in locally and across the globe. So uh, I really can't say thank you enough for spending some time with us. And, um, you know, it's just been, it's been awesome catching up and seeing you continue to do your thing on and off the field. So thanks again.
no doubt. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for your patience with uh, with Leo. Uh, he appreciates it also. Send him a pat on the head, okay? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yes, I will. All right.